Welcome to this latest episode of the Free Speech Podcast, brought to you by Bolt Burden Kemp, one of the country's leading firms of solicitors for serious injury claims. I'm Charlotte Dowson, Associate in the Complex Injury Department. The Free Speech Podcast brings together lawyers, barristers, external experts and organisations and charities we work with. It showcases the varied work we do and gives you lots of advice and information which you'll find useful whether you're a legal professional or an individual who is considering making a claim. There are well over 30 episodes available already in this series. Do check them out on our website, boltburdenkemp.co.uk. In today's episode, we will be exploring a topic you'll have heard a lot about in the press, injuries caused by e-scooters. We'll look at the state of the current laws relating to e-scooters why we're seeing so many serious injury claims around the use of e-scooters, and what making a claim and going through litigation can involve for you. My colleague, Ben Pepper, Senior Associate in the Complex Injury Department, joins me on this episode, alongside Barrister Scarlett Milligan. Ben, Scarlett, lovely to have you both with us on this episode of the Free Speech Podcast. Hello. Hello. Ben, can you tell our listeners about your background and experience in this area? Sure. Um, I'm a solicitor in in the complex injury department at Bolt Bird and Kemp and I've dealt with a number of e-scooter related cases. I've done a lot of campaigning around this topic and my aim of this podcast really is to keep the discussion around e-scooters going. And Scarlett? I am a barrister at 39 Essex Chambers in London. I specialise in personal injury, clinical negligence, inquest inquiries and public and regulatory law, all of which has a bearing on our topic today. I've been interested in driverless and electric vehicles for quite some time. I co-authored a book on the subject in 2019. Ben, tell us about the law in this area. Firstly, I should admit that I've not actually ridden an e-scooter myself uh, before, to, yeah, to my shame. I can see they're, they're clearly very popular. We all, we all see them everywhere on the road. There's something in the order of three quarters of a million privately owned e-scooters in use in the UK at the moment. Um, everyone seems to have an opinion on them. There's, there's lots of positives to them. They're environmentally friendly if you're using them to replace cars rather than replacing it with walking or, or cycling. Uh, they do ease congestion on our roads and, and they're cheap in comparison to cars to run. But in answer to your question, Charlotte, the, the law in this area uh, specifies that e-scooters are in fact motor vehicles as, as defined by the Road Traffic Act. Therefore, they, they require all of the things that cars would require, such as insurance, licensing, tax, MOT, lights and things. However, because of their, their nature and their construction, uh, at present, they're, they're not fit for use on roads and therefore can't be used on roads and, and in public places. Their status as, as motor vehicles, as defined by the Act, means they can't be used in spaces that are specifically set aside for pedestrians, uh, so on pavements, and for cyclists, so can't be used in cycle lanes either. Anyone can go out and buy an e-scooter at the moment, um, but they are only allowed for use on private land with the landowner's permission. If anyone is caught using a, a privately owned e-scooter on the road by the police, they can legally face a fine and, and six points on their driving licence. The exception 
to that rule is is the e-scooters that are currently part of the nationwide rental scheme. So some of the e-scooters that you see on the road at the moment are are rental ones rather than privately owned ones, and uh, they can they can be ridden on the roads, but not on motorways, and and also in cycle lanes, but not pavements. Scarlett, tell us about the rental trials and how they're progressing. Well, the the rental scheme started in 2020. I think COVID really got the wind behind its sails and accelerated it. So so COVID uh, in June 2020 was the time when the regulations came in and they're still in force. The trials were originally due to end in November 22, but they're still going and they've been extended uh, until the end of May this year, May 24. The intention of the trial was said to be to gather information to inform future legislation, policy on e-scooters. What is something of a a disappointment, I think, is um, that the legislation, as we'll, we'll come on to discuss, I'm sure, has been put on the back foot and as a result, the trial has just been extended. So, We are seeing e-scooters on the road as part of the trial, but people are also increasingly using private e-scooters and there's a a lack of regulation. Um, So so that's going to continue until at least May 2024. Um, The operating companies who run the trials have insurance and that's a compulsory element of the scheme. Um, So if you have a full or provisional driving license you can you can grab one of these scooters you'll be insured your speed will be limited to 15.5 miles per hour maximum it is lower in some areas helmets are not mandatory though they are advised um, and there are various other limitations so not drinking not looking at your phone but as as I've already alluded to, the trials aren't aren't necessarily the be all and end all, and they're not always um, understood by everyone in the areas that they're operating. Ben, tell us about some of the safety issues that can arise. So, in my capacity as a solicitor in the complex injury department at BBK, I've got a, a couple of e-scooter related cases that are ongoing at the moment. So, without going into too much detail, though, they are um, both representing two very vulnerable road users they were riding privately owned e-scooters at the time so they were on the road technically illegally but we see so many of them out there at the moment and they were on roads that did have uh, the rental e-scooters on there at the time as well so drivers should have been looking out for them my clients unfortunately suffered very nasty injuries um, one multiple rib fractures and uh, was put into uh, an induced coma to assist with his recovery this was all after he was overtaken by a bus uh, which collided with him uh, another gentleman he was knocked down by by a van and suffered very nasty injuries to his knee and his foot which meant he was unable to work for several months so so serious injuries do and are occurring there's some research that was carried out by the parliamentary advisory uh, council for transport safety uh, otherwise known as PACS. within their research they considered data from all e-scooter usage so both rental and privately owned incidents and they found that in the 12 months leading up to june 2023 there were around 1355 electric scooter related casualties the majority of which so over a thousand of those uh, resulted in injuries to the riders themselves so most injuries are in fact being suffered by the e-scooter riders themselves rather than others because of how vulnerable they are sadly there were also seven fatalities in that same 12 month period six of which involved uh, an illegal 
privately owned e-scooter. But going back to the safety issues that they have uh, around e-scooters, the ones that are privately owned, so not the rental ones, can, can reach speeds far in excess of 30 miles an hour, rather than those ones limited to 15 and a half that are rental, which means they can be very unsafe, both for the riders and, and the people around them. They can be used on pavements and left on pavements, which is hazardous for obvious reasons. Some only have one brake and can be very slow to stop they obviously have very small wheels as well which means that when they approach defects in the road or pavements riders can very frequently be thrown off balance and they're in a very vulnerable position when they're standing so close uh, to to the handlebars unlike cyclists they haven't got the kind of impact that can be taken from a front wheel of a bicycle for example and they can easily go over the the front handlebars which again makes them very vulnerable uh, riders don't often wear helmets as scarlet's already said they're not compulsory under the rental scheme although they are advised but but who realistically carries around a, a helmet with them if they're going to rent an e-scooter 40% of of the injuries that do occur to e-scooter riders are are in fact head injuries um, and it's it's not just the crashes and the injuries that occur on the roads. There are also fires that are caused by the batteries that are part of the scooters, which can catch fire in people's homes and in public places. And this is also an issue for electric bikes as well. And in addition to the aspects of e-scooters themselves that make them inherently unsafe, uh, the riders can also be unsafe themselves by riding them when they are intoxicated or, or through antisocial behaviour. So the, the, the message there really is that there are lots of ways in which injuries can can occur on e-scooters that, that people need to be mindful of. Tell us about some of the difficulties that can arise during litigation for accidents involving e-scooters. Well, I'd say there are two big headlines to consider. The first is that there's no special regime when you're looking at an accident involving an e-scooter. We're looking at um, the facts of any individual case. It's it's fault-based liability, and that includes contributory negligence. So that's important, given what Ben was telling us about all the various risks and dangers. Um, There are many ways in which a a rider's behaviour can be scrutinised in the course of a claim. Can you tell our listeners exactly what you mean by contributory negligence if they're not aware? Yes. So contributory negligence arises where... Uh, you have in theory a claim against uh, another party so let's say that's against a driver who's had a collision with someone riding an e-scooter but for whatever reason on the facts of the case um, you are said to have contributed hence the name um, to the accident occurring so that may be because one was driving the e-scooter in quite a dangerous way or you were wearing uh, all black or perhaps you didn't look when you were executing a turn. Those kind of things that are said to not be the primary cause of the accident, but they've contributed to it. It's certainly an allegation that's come up in the cases that I've mentioned earlier by insurers. It's, it's very often uh, an argument that they raise that the that clients of mine may have perhaps been riding too fast, riding in an area that they shouldn't have been in and, and contributed to the accident in some way, which then has the effect of reducing the level of damages that they ultimately receive. So if their claim was valued at, say, £100,000 and they were found to be 50% at fault themselves, that those damages would be reduced by half. Yes, and I think that with any new technology generally there will these arguments will be being made um, and the research tells us that that 
the users of e-scooters are in the majority young and they're male. Um, and so there is this tendency in litigation, rightly or wrongly, to say that this was a, a young person uh, taking risks that they shouldn't have done. And that uh, there's attempts to try and characterise claimants in this way. So that's something um, um, to be aware of. I said there were two headlines. That was the first. The second is is to remember, as we've already been elaborating on, that there is a difference in law between the, the rental scooters, which are covered by insurance, they're permitted to be on roads excluding motorways, and the privately owned ones, because, um, as we've already said, they're not allowed, they're illegal on roads. That has two significant consequences. First, practically, you are, if you are seriously injured, you're suing somebody without insurance. Um, if they don't have any money, that raises problems. Um, the MIB, sorry, the Motor Insurance Bureau, um, who typically pick up uninsured claims, are at present funding claims um, where the e-scooter uh, rider is uninsured. Um, but going forward, there's a real question mark over wh- whether that will continue to be the case because without there being any sort of compulsory insurance scheme, the MIB isn't receiving any any contribution from the insurance products, like that's the way how, how it works in respect of cars. Um, and so there's a real gap in its funding and these claims are can be very expensive, especially, especially with the difficult, serious head injuries um, cases that Ben was mentioning. So that's a practical impact. And then one gets into the issue of um, illegality being raised as a potential defence um, to any claims that are being brought. What do you mean by that? So this is where in law um, a, a personal injury claim is brought and a defendant says, well, you were doing something illegal uh, and you shouldn't benefit from the fruits of your illegal conduct by bringing a claim against me. Now, that principle hasn't been tested specifically in e-scooter litigation yet, although, as Ben said, it's being being raised at a, an early stage. The courts are likely to adopt the approach that they have done in, in other recent appellate cases. So for those who are, who are really interested, for example, Patel and Mirza is the 2016 Supreme Court case setting out the principles of legality. But in a nutshell, it doesn't involve a binary answer. There's not one test we can boil it down to. The principle of illegality requires one to consider the underlying illegality and and its connection to the claim. So when we're looking at e-scooter litigation, questions such as, has there been a prosecution in respect of the driving? Was it the illegal aspect of the driving that caused the accident? Even if there haven't been any criminal proceedings initiated, would the courts be furthering a criminal intent? So for example, we hear about cases of crash for cash, the idea of inducing a fraudulent accident. And then finally, would it be disproportionate to disallow a claim on the basis of illegality. So an example there might be with an an e-scooter that's been restricted to a certain mile per hour usage. If that's been tampered with and the driver was going one or two miles per hour above that limit, would it be disproportionate to not allow them to bring a multi-million claim for lifelong and life-changing head injuries? So those kind of questions um, will be asked when we're looking at illegal e-scooter driving. It's really interesting to hear about the legality surrounding e-scooters, but our listeners might be looking at making a claim and are perhaps not quite sure what to do. What practically would happen if they were to proceed with a claim? Well, as as 
Scarlett's alluded to, there's a lot of complicated legal issues that can arise throughout a claim. And I wouldn't want anyone who has had an accident involving an e-scooter to be put off from bringing a claim. We at Bold Bird and Kemp, we represent uh, injured people uh, following such accidents and we take that burden away from clients and we contest the kind of arguments that defendant raise, raises on a regular basis. And the cases that I'm currently bringing at the moment on behalf of e-scooter risers the, the arguments that Scarlett raised to do with illegality and contributory negligence, these come up all the time and, and we're, we're always ready and poised and preempt that they're going to come up. So we gather the evidence that we need to in order to deal with them in the best way that we can. But in terms of how the litigation process works, uh, we take initial instructions from our client. We set up usually a a no-win, no-fee agreement at the start, which effectively means that we agree with the client that if we take the case on and it's unsuccessful for any reason, we write off our fees. There's nothing for them to pay whatsoever. If and when we win, which is usually the case, we will charge our clients a a capped percentage, usually around the 20% mark of, of what we recover for them on their behalf. And throughout the course of the claim, we will gather evidence to support their version of events and in order to prove who was liable for the accident. And we also will gather evidence in support of the full extent of their injuries and the impact that they've had on their life and also their financial losses. Scarlett, where does your role as a barrister come into this? So um, clients would in the first instance approach Ben and others at BBK and there are some instances where initial negotiations with a defendant to a claim can result in the claim settling very early on if it's very obvious what's happened etc but where that's that claim is going to be contested and it can be contested either pretty gently or, or quite vigorously um, it's likely that a barrister will become involved at a later stage so once the issues have been defined a barrister may be involved in in drafting what are known as the pleadings. So those are the legal documents setting out one's case and one's defence. And then ultimately, if the case were to go to court or there were any other related hearings, so so um, hearings to do with directions uh, and things like that, um, typically a, a barrister will be the one to stand up in court and have that argument. Um, I also tend to be involved in the uh, negotiation meetings and whatnot to try and get a a claim settled. And I think, Ben, it would be fair to say that that many claims, certainly personal injury claims, do settle rather than going to court. um, Certainly. Yeah, absolutely. Very few trials, maybe two or three percent of my cases have gone to trial. Um, So fortunately, we do manage to negotiate favourable settlements for our clients regularly. And uh, I've instructed Scarlett on, on a number of occasions and she's helpfully represented me uh, and 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 the clients uh, at joint settlement meetings where we've where we've brought about favourable settlements. So so yes, it's it's it is a long winded process, but I wouldn't want anyone to be daunted uh, by it. And we can we can certainly assist however we can and, and progress cases as as quickly and effectively as possible. Ben, I know you've been involved in a lot of campaigning on the law around e-scooters. Can you tell our listeners about that? So in, in addition to my work that I do for, for clients that have been involved in e-scooter related accidents and indeed other uh, road traffic collisions uh, and, and I also deal with accident at work claims but um, we also do a lot of campaigning at Bolt Bird and Kemp around relevant issues and one of the very topical 
issues has been around e-scooters in recent years and we would strongly argue that the law uh, around private e-scooter use and their potential insurance uh, really does need clarifying. Uh, Some of the things that I've done include writing numerous articles for various publications and commenting in the media quite frequently on on the radio and on various YouTube channels and and newspapers. Um, Bob Bird and Kemp also released a survey around 18 months or so ago which 15,000 people took part in and it and it produced some really interesting data uh, the responses showed that one out of every five people were completely unaware that privately owned e-scooters were illegal on the road uh, and only half of people knew that rental e-scooters or well, their riders uh, needed a full or provisional driving license so people were under the impression that they could simply get on and ride them without a license so certainly more education is needed uh, around e-scooters uh, was the takeaway from that uh, the other major thing that we did at Bolt Bird and Kemp was having a round table discussion between barristers and representatives from the Association of B- British Insurers PACS who I mentioned earlier the Metropolitan Police, the Motor Insurers Bureau, who Scarlett mentioned, and also the British uh, Insurers Brokers Association. So we all sat around and, and had a discussion about what the future should look like. Some of the takeaway points that e-scooters really should have their own vehicle classification uh, and be insured so that people can access compensation afterwards and people aren't looking to the MIB to compensate them unfairly. Uh, Premiums for insurance shouldn't be expensive. Uh, If if anyone wants to listen to that discussion and and watch it, it's, it's on our website at the moment. What do you think the future holds? Well, at the moment, as is probably apparent from all we've said, there is a lacuna in the law because um, e-scooters outside the rental schemes are illegal to use on the roads, but they're classified as motor vehicles. So there's very little scope Um, where they're illegal. They're not and they're being used. They're not really being policed. So nobody's stopping e-scooter drivers to make sure that they are part of the rental scheme, etc. So um, in May 2022, which seems a long time ago now, the uh, Queen's speech announced that the government was going to bring forward a transport bill and that, among other things, was was intending to put uh, electric travel, including e-scooters, at at the forefront of the UK's um, economy and to bring home all the benefits of of this new sector. A month later, the the government said the transport bill would introduce a new category, which Ben has just been talking about, a new category of of low-speed and zero-emission vehicles in primary legislation that would then be regulated by new secondary legislation. Um, But that bill wasn't introduced in 2022. It didn't come last year in 23, apparently due to a lack of parliamentary time. And then there wasn't any mention of it in the the King's speech at the opening of of Parliament recently. So um, we'll have to see whether or not the transport bill comes before the next general election, whenever that that may be held this year or early next. Um, That is likely to be um, a, a watershed moment. Um, the government has also said that it wants to introduce self-driving vehicles and their regulation by 2025. That seems to me to be um, an important opportunity to also regulate other forms of electric vehicles like e-scooters. So it may be that we see this as part of a, a broader package rather than something just relating to e-scooters. And then finally, Charlotte, in terms of the future, leaving aside 
legislation, one thing that occurs to me is is the necessary impact on court proceedings as these electric vehicles um, develop and become increasingly complex. So at the moment, it, it, it can be quite or relatively easy um, to explore how an accident unfolded and taking accounts and testimony, whereas if one has to start interrogating um, black box data with the assistance of experts, if one has to look at bringing in perhaps the manufacturers of hardware and software behind these e-scooters, perhaps all of them may have played a small role and together it's, it's very difficult to identify the key component that went wrong. All of this adds to the length complexity and time of litigation um, to the extent that it may become very disproportionate. So it seems to me that that some thought is going to have to be given to how this litigation is pursued, whether that is a sort of European strict liability scheme um, that we we see elsewhere or or something more nuanced, uh, time will tell. Thank you both. That's been really interesting. It's been great to hear your expertise in this area. Before I let you go, is there anything final you'd like to say on this subject? I think that whichever side of the argument you fall on, whether you're for or against privately owned e-scooters being allowed on the road, I'm sure that we can all agree that regulation is needed to clamp down on their misuse, the the Wild West type misuse that is currently going on, uh, on on the roads. And Whatever the government decides to do, I think that safety and also injured people need to be put at the heart of whatever the regulations do say. Injuries need to be prevented, but as and when they do inevitably and and will occur, there must be a clear route to compensation for those injured people. Um, And until such time as the law is clarified in this area, I think that people need to ensure that if they are going to ride e-scooters on the road, they form part of the uh, rental scheme that's currently in place. And if they do want to ride their own privately owned e-scooters, they stick to private land, at least for now. What I would add um, is to say that this discussion has been very interesting. I agree. And some of it has been somewhat academic. It's looking at what's what's missing from the law, where the, the law might go. And I think it's probably important to say that it's not in fact unusual for the law to be behind how things are developing on the ground particularly with net technology and so while we're talking about all the interesting and and potentially daunting things that can arise in litigation in fact in all on all of the probability your case someone's case is unlikely to be the big test case that pushes these issues and and there's going to be a lot of litigation that isn't watershed and proceeds normally so just for anyone listening who's perhaps found this a little bit daunting as ben says that's perhaps not going to happen in your case indeed we'd, we'd, we'd hope it wouldn't that's a really good point to end with we really want these podcasts to be reassuring for anyone listening We know that you might be going through something very traumatic, but this is what we do, help you to navigate the process of making a claim. Scarlett, thank you for your time. For anyone listening, where can they find you? It's been a pleasure. I'm at 39 Essex Chambers. So anyone uh, wanting to get in touch with me uh, can get in touch through the website or through our various uh, socials, including my own. And you, Ben? Charlotte, thanks for hosting. Scarlett, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, You can find my details on Bolbert and Kemp's website, Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you both. Thanks. Thank you. Don't forget, you can check out all the previous episodes in this series on our website, boltburdenkemp.co.uk. 
please click on follow wherever you listen to your podcasts to be notified of all future episodes. And if you have a moment, we'd be really grateful if you could leave us a rating or a review. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.